0: There's five points between the f- top five in the championship. It's all to play for. Hands off the keyboard. Can you tell us the order and the points?
1: Uh, <clears throat> well, they're tied on points at the moment. Victor Martins with 36 and and Arthur Leclerc with 36 as well. Um, and after that, as you say, it's, it's the top five. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and welcome to the F1 Feeder Series podcast, your guide to keeping up to date on everything in the junior single seater world. I'm your host Jim Kimberly, and this week we're heading to Spain as the annual so-called European season kicks off for F1 support series, Formula 2 and Formula 3. Now the season is fully underway and we're going to look back on the season so far and also what to look out for in the coming months. To help me remember what's happened so far, I'm joined by three people this week who each have expertise in Formula Three, Formula Two, and something unusual called Formula One. But let me introduce a man from the Formula One world who is the jazzy boots on the ground at all the races this year. is Formula One correspondent, F1 TV presenter, and Channel Four reporter, and I've probably got other things I've forgotten. <laughs> Lawrence Beretta, welcome to the podcast
2: sorry it took you so long to say my job title uh but i appreciate you running all the way through it jim i appreciate it yeah
0: what have what have i missed there is something a pod, podcast host.
2: <laughs> i think you've got everything let's
0: <laughs> well thank you for joining lawrence i'm really excited to talk through everything with you um and a change of pace looking below f1 for you this week, eh?
2: yeah so i try my best when i'm at um F1 races to keep an eye on what's going on but um, as you'll know Formula 1 is quite an absorbing sport and it's quite hard to keep across everything Um, but it's always worth keeping an eye on F2 and F3 just because that's the pathway into Formula 1 and uh, we've seen in recent years that um, drivers have made the step up all the way through the ladder reaching Formula 1 so I do my best when I can.
0: Yeah, not all the drivers, like a certain F2 champion last year, but we'll talk about that a little later, I'm sure. Joining Lawrence is a man who also earns his cash from Formula One, but by talking about Formula Three. It's a man who, at his current trajectory, will be replacing Martin Brundle in about a year or two. Formula Three commentator Harry Benjamin. Great to have you, Harry. And it's after a weekend where you were concentrating on two wheels rather than four. Oh, well,
1: uh, well, thank you very much firstly for having me, you're far too kind, no one could ever replace Martin Brundle, absolutely <laughs> a fearless legend. Um, but yes, two wheels at the weekend, uh, the Electric Scooter Championship, ESC, it's uh, uh, founded by um, uh, Lucas Degrassi, of course so you might be familiar with from his Virgin F1 days and, and more uh, Formula E Uh Merits to his name, Uh, Alex Wirtz as well involved in that first ever round of it uh, in uh, in South London, and uh, it's a great little championship. They've got the Hulkenberg's got a team, Carlin are involved as well, of course, and in F two and F three, and are now reaching out into electric scooters. It's brilliant, Um, and it went really well, I think, for a a first ever event. So it was it was nice to be involved.
0: Very different. I did see some of those very well branded, uh, very well marketed. It was. Uh, videos on the social media mainly because of you so good job for that finally though i have to also introduce and i'm always happy to have him here it's the f1 feeder series f2 editor tyler foster tyler whenever you join the podcast always somehow turns to food do you have any plans to derail us this week with fellow foodie lawrence barretto
3: oh i know that lawrence is much more well-traveled than i am um <laughs> so perhaps uh, but i've got my food out the way early i've, I've finished my my nice beef stroganoff that I made. But uh, other than that, um, nice. I'm, I'm hoping to just keep it on cars. I mean, you never know. You never know over the podcast. But, but, uh, but yeah, I'm excited with uh, two people. Usually I'm, I'm surrounded by or, or sandwiched by drivers. But this week I'm I'm with people who I actually, if anything, I hold higher praise for because they're sort of in the genre that I'm you know involved in. So, um yeah, it would be interesting to see what they have to say about things. Oh
0: what they have to say about food I will just give a little bit of backstory to those watching and listening but those of you on watching and listening uh, I got a picture of the beef stroganoff sent to me before the podcast started so we derailed it before we even started and also I saw Harry and Lawrence both give quite a nod for those of you listening uh, when he did mention the beef stroganoff so I'm sure they all are conspiring against me to turn this into the F1 feeder series podcast as ever so thanks for that Tyler before we get started though a quick reminder to like comment and subscribe if you're watching on youtube and if you're listening to the audio only version please leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're using it really does help us out now i'm gonna start on formula 2 because it is the headline act of the feeder series world and let me start with you here harry how much F2 have you kept up to date on this year with your official job change and have you issued a actual threat to alex shakes yet that you're going to steal his F2 comms next year
1: well, uh, <laughs> absolutely no uh, threats for alex is uh, i've watched him for 7 8 years of him doing commentary from gp3 gp2 and he's been so brilliant with me as well he's given me advice he, he sent me you know really lovely messages especially when I filled in for him uh for the first time last year when um uh, he was out in Austria and you know Covid was a bit of an issue there so they, they, that was my first sort of break doing Formula Three and he was nothing but welcoming because they, you know there are very few people that get to be the voice of, of Formula 3 which is one of the I mean I'm biased obviously but it's one of the most exciting championships going because there's 30 cars on that grid and they're all young exciting fast races and it's a really critical point in their careers so it, it's just an honor to be able to to follow in the footsteps really so uh no nothing being issued at all uh so um so yeah it's it's been good to do for F3 Formula 2 of course do keep up with that as well uh but naturally my uh, my main thing at the moment is formula three but it's hard to uh ignore formula two when that's on well straight after
0: <laughs> yeah i imagine you're actually doing a lot of preparation or cooling down after formula two's on when you finish with your f3 stuff we've got questions galore about your commentary for it so being very well received and was it last year you're doing it with was it rosanna at silverstone as well you jumped in for formula two
1: Yes, uh, that was very late, actually. I got called on Friday after they'd done practice and qualifying. Uh, So (laughs) I thought I had the weekend off. Uh, And then suddenly, uh, I think suddenly I was uh, dropped in with Rosanna. And Rosanna, I think it was her first time doing Formula Two as well, although she'd been doing the Formula One commentary. Um, So it was a little bit sort of finding our way in the dark, working together and and then also having to, to sort of battle our way through Formula Two. But uh, you know after the three races I think by the end of it we got the got the hang of it Um, but I mean what a privilege to be able to do Formula 2 uh, uh, for the British Grand Prix as well that I mean just uh, just brilliant and to have you know work alongside Rosanna who I wouldn't normally really get to work alongside so that's uh, an added bonus as well
0: yeah out of nowhere as well all that stuff from the start of the year I remember speaking to you I don't think you had any Formula 3 or Formula 2 hopes in your sights at that point Lawrence Although not strictly Formula 2 anymore, but he's going to be a Formula 2 champion that never made it, or the Formula 2 champion who never made it unless Oscar Piastri joins him. Two days ago, not today, two days ago, Nick de was announced that he's going to make an F1 appearance for Williams at Barcelona. What did you know about this welcome news?
2: Well, I didn't know that it was going to happen in advance, um, but I do know that Williams... Had a have had an eye on Nick for, for a while now. He was obviously in the running to get the seat that Alex Albon eventually got at Williams for this season. Um, so he's always been on their radar. And part of the Formula One rules this year is that every team um have to run a young driver for at least two FP1 sessions. And it makes sense for them as they're evaluating what they're going to do going forward next year to take a driver who they were considering or at least are of interest to them um, in one of those sessions particularly in Spain where they obviously run so much time um, in pre-seasons they know the circuit very well they can they've got a lot of data points they can make those comparisons and I'm sure that you know as their engine supplier and their technical partner Mercedes and Nick's obviously a reserve driver for Mercedes I'm sure that a lot of that is intertwined and they collectively want to make a decision about you know whether or not he can make it into Formula One next year I think if I'm right in saying Mercedes are, are, are leaving Formula E at the end of the current season. And so Nick's going to need something, you know, going forward. I'm not saying he can't join another team in Formula E, but I think, you know, he still has aspirations if he can of making it into Formula One and getting him in. it's mad to say this is his first World free weekend that he's going to be taking part in. He obviously did the Abu Dhabi post-season test, but it's mad to say that this is his first one. I spent a bit of time with him last year, Because he, in his reserve role, he was uh, often rolled out as a pundit on a lot of the F1 TV things that we did. So I got to know him a little bit and really impressive guy. gets on really well with the team at at mercedes and i imagine he'll settle in super quick with williams who are like a a family operation who will bed him in quickly and so i'm intrigued to see what he'll do not from a lap time point of view but just in terms of how well he beds into the team what the feedback is like what they think of him because he'll be doing a program that won't facilitate impressive lap times Um, but i'm intrigued to see what he can do
0: I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here because you are the one who's going to have this F1 knowledge. What's the situation at Williams with their contracts for next year? Are both drivers out of contract? And is Nick in with an actual realistic chance, should he shine at Barcelona, of
2: taking one of those seats? So as I understand it, um, Nicholas Latibi's contract comes up to um, expire at the end of this year. So that seat is available. Um, In terms of Alex, they've signed a a long-term deal. So... Barring anything dramatic, he'll most certainly be in the car next year. So I think the seat that we would be talking about will be Nicky's. Um, Nicky's been there three years or will have been there for three years. Um, The team have a lot of respect for him. He's obviously struggling to adapt to these 2022 cars. He is very open and saying that he can't quite get a handle of them. And you can see the frustration for him But him and his family have been very supportive of Williams um, and the team when they were in difficult times. And if he can get on top of it, then I still think that, you know, he's not out already at the end of this year. But I think it's sensible for Williams to evaluate all their options because they are a much more credible proposition these days with Dalton backing them. Um, Alex is showing what you can get out of that car he's out driving that car and he's really delivering so I think there are going to be drivers who are going to want to compete for Williams in years to come so it makes sense from Williams', Williams side to, to try other drivers out it kind of maybe will put a little bit of pressure on Nicky to hopefully up his game and I'm sure he is capable and get on top of that car um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward but yeah there is options there is options at Williams next year
0: interesting isn't it the only thing we can say with certainty it sounds like there's going to be a nick in the car next year but it's quite welcome i think for well i saw everybody nodding again for the benefit of everybody listening only nick de is one of those drivers like piastri this year that just seems to have fallen by the wayside and i'm not going to do my usual crapping on formula e a little bit because he's obviously done so well there but it's it's an odd route tyler isn't it to getting to potentially f1 by taking how many years out doing formula e
3: Well, I've got to be honest, he is my favourite motorsport driver. Um, I I don't know what it is. It's just, I remember watching the whole Formula 2 season, and because he was in Formula 2 for three or four seasons before he was champion. Um, So he had that experience, but he was still quite young when he won it. Um, And I remember that championship winning season, he was so dominant. Ahead of Latifi as well. Exactly. And I think he broke the record at that point for maybe the most amount of points in Formula 2 history. Um, And... It was so impressive. And then there was that situation where, you know, lack of seats and then he has to move into Formula E. And yeah, it is a really, really weird way to go about it. But I think when you've got the talent of someone like Nick, I think the thing is he's similar to Stoffel. The the work ethic is so strong. I was speaking to uh, Jake Hughes last week and uh, he was obviously the Mercedes uh, EQ Formula E development driver. And he works very closely with Nick and Stoffel. And he says just how hard they work at the details, the specifics. And I think that's the sort of thing that would help Nick get into a seat like that. Um, but the other thing to remember about, about Williams as well, they've got Logan Sargent on their books in Formula Two, someone who's had a decent start to the season, someone who I reckon probably will have a, a building year for Formula Two this year. And then next year we'll be looking at possibly fighting for the title. Um, and he's, with Carlin, you know, a team who have been really strong this year. So, that Williams seat or seats, uh, especially with other seats and other teams, could be one that maybe changes once or twice over the next two or three years. So, yeah, certainly one to watch for that.
0: Yeah, crazy stuff. And somehow, Tyler, you're suggesting that Roy Nassani isn't going to take that seat, but I won't press you too hard on that. um We are going to get busy with Formula Two, though. Three races in four weekends, I think I calculated it as. What are some of the storylines so far this season for people to keep an eye on? And maybe just for the benefit of Lawrence Barretti, who might take some time out to watch a Formula 2, you can let him know what to look out for.
3: A lot of pressure on my shoulders, though. (laughs) I think think the main point I would issue to people who haven't fully watched Formula 2 or have caught bits here or there is not who's leading the championship or anything like that. It's poor share by two points over Felipe Drogovic. But the main thing of interest for me is that um, of the top seven drivers currently in the standings, uh, only one of them has got pole position, which means that two, two of the drivers that have got pole position are outside the top, uh, top seven, which means that, you know, for, for whatever reason, it's very open. And there are a lot of rookies, almost half the grid this year are rookies. You know, that's something that I, I keep going on about because we went into the season not knowing whether we'd have a Piastri situation where someone who was a rookie would come in and win the championship. Um, at the moment, it looks like it's probably someone going to be more experienced because the top three are Porsche, who's in his second year, Drogovic, who I believe's uh, in his third season, and Ruvula, um, who's, again, an experienced driver. So it's going to be one for the experienced drivers, in my opinion. But Porsche's winning feature races, that's what's key at in, in, uh, this level. They're the, that's where the points are. Uh, he's won two out of the three so far. Um, Vips had a really disappointing uh, Imola where he got pole, and then put it in the gravel. A lot of drivers did that at Imola, which was really interesting to see because you don't usually get that in Formula 2 where multiple drivers make key mistakes in, in, in sort of a, a way that costs you victory. Um, it's, it seems like the season's been more comparative to Formula 3 in the way that it's been very up for grabs and very um, very random. But uh, it's very exciting because of the amount of really strong drivers there are on the development books of Formula 1 teams. So, you know, for, uh, Red Bull have got five drivers. Uh, Mercedes has got Frederick Vesti. Um, yeah, you've got as I mentioned Nassani and you've got Logan um, Sargent as well so a lot of really good drivers but it's been very open and still such a long way to go
0: Drivers falling off the track like you said the last time with VIPs at Imola. Harry we'll come to you in a little bit to talk about that you saw plenty of that action in Formula 3 because those Imola races were absolutely terrific I don't know how you managed to call the last laps there you mentioned, Tyler, about the drivers on the F1 team's books. Now, Lawrence, I know you know everybody in the paddock and the championship leader, Theo Cher is tightly tied to, to Sauber and Fred Vasseur. How highly does Vasseur rate the Frenchman?
2: Oh, hugely. Um, I think, you know, Fred really wants him in one of his cars in the future. Um, I think if he had his way, he would have had him in already. Um I think he's probably taking the smarter route and letting him bed in a little bit more and get some experience in in the lower formulae before he he makes the step up. I think Fred's going to have a problem, though, because he's obviously got Valtteri who's performing at an incredibly high level, as I'm sure Fred expected. But Joe has come in and I think he surprised everyone with his consistency his ability to settle into the team and give articulate feedback um, to the crew. Um, He's getting on so well with Valtteri. Um, And I think that it's going to be a very difficult one for the team to want to part ways with him, which means it is not entirely clear where Chair would go if Fred wants to, You know, say he goes and wins the F2 title this year. It's not entirely clear where he'd go and they're going to have a problem like Alpine um, have with Piastri this year. And there's just not enough seats on the grid at the moment but fred rates him really highly um i think you often talk about to team bosses and they talk about young drivers coming through and you know they say positive things and they say you know i'd love to see them in 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 the top team in formula one in the future but the way that fred talks about poor chair is, is slightly different like he genuinely believes you know he's invested in in him and he he believes he's the future so um, it will be interesting to see how first, how he does an F2 this year, and then how they find a way um, in the years coming up um, to find a place for him. Um, who knows? There's lots of contracts up for renewal in Formula One um, over this winter. And so that there's always opportunities. You can always find a solution if you really, really want to. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, but firstly, I guess Borges has got to go and win this title um, and then that will make Fred's job slightly easier.
0: It sounds like it'd be slightly hard. I know, Tyler, you've got a few th- thoughts on this as well.
3: Yeah, I-, I wanted to ask Lawrence about Mercedes specifically. Obviously, they're probably the team, um, you know, even if you're a Red Bull or a Ferrari fan, that are the most confusing in terms of F1 this year, you know, with the, with the car, you know, the potential that they've possibly gotten in that, and then the situation with Russell and Hamilton. Um, but the thing is that from a feeder series perspective, they're also a really confusing team because um, their main driver in the feeder series categories is Frederick Bestie, who's been there for a while now and is in his rookie season in F2. Um, and I believe he's 21 years old and he's having an okay season. Um, he's scored, you know, he has had one point finish in the feature race in Imola, um, but he's down in 16th in the standings. It doesn't look like he's going to be, you know, anywhere near fighting in say the top five, top six, top seven uh, in F2. Um, is there any inclination perhaps that with Hamilton's situation possibly unclear for the future uh, in terms of how many years he's going to remain in Formula One, the Mercedes are branching out their ideas for young drivers? Because the question is who's next for them if Hamilton goes?
2: I think that they're fortunate in that they've got a bit of time because even if Lewis goes, um, and I'm not saying that he will, but if should he go, um, they wouldn't take someone that young anyway. They'd, wanna, they'd probably take experience from within the grid. Um, and then we're talking three, four, five years down the line. Hopefully they'll have brought through someone by then. And we saw with George, but like he only pushed his way into that team um, because he was so impressive at Williams. And even then it took three years. So I would have thought most drivers that they bring through are gonna take that at least. And they were fortunate in that they had such a great cooperation um, with Williams, which meant that they had somewhere to place their young drivers. I imagine, and I don't know this, but I imagine Mercedes would have thought that Vesti would have been a bit stronger at this point by now, um, and that he would have been knocking on the door a little bit harder. But they announced uh, you know, a suite of drivers at the start of this year, and it was very much grassroot level up, so it shows that they're taking more for long-term view on these things and you know we've seen drivers like Pascal Wehrlein I remember when he was coming through as a Mercedes junior and Esteban Ocon and they genuinely you know they wanted those two to get into the works team and then very quickly things change and you know Esteban's ended up going down the 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 Alpine route Pascal, Pascal never really made the step up and has left the sport so as highly as you rate a young driver when they're coming through. And I genuinely think the teams are genuine when they say that, you know, we believe these guys are good. Time changes, things move so quickly in Formula One that even the the, the best might not always get their shot. So it's an interesting time for Mercedes. You know, like you said, they've got a lot going on at the moment, you know, primarily they need to sort their performance out but they will always be looking at bringing the next level through and it isn't entirely clear where that's going to come from but I don't think they'll have a shortage of drivers that they will need to choose from should Lewis retire in the future I think they've got you know five six seven drivers within Formula One where even if they're struggling now people would bite their hand off to drive for them.
3: Yeah well they've got um, Antonelli who I know Jim you're going to talk on about later who's probably the key one in, in that In that bracket, so yeah. Yeah,
0: well, in the in the interest of moving forward, because we've got so much to go through, there is that point which we'll get to. Because I know a lot of the uh, feeder series fans will be screaming right now, thinking, "Well, there's a very clear candidate for a few years away, but like Lawrence said, it's grassroots level." But more on that to come. Harry, you've been quite quiet because we haven't been speaking about Formula Three so much yet, and we're going to move on to F three. There's five points between the top five in the championship. It's all to play for. You're the point man now, Harry, the go-to guy, the man who knows every statistic, hands off the keyboard. Can you tell us the order and the points? Uh,
1: Well, they're tied on points. the moment it's Victor Martins with 36 and, and Arthur Leclerc with 36 as well. Um, and after that, as you say, it's, it's the top
0: five. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I will let you uh, off. We've got Roman Stanek, 33, Jack Crawford, 32, Isaac Hajar.
1: Isaac Hajar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how have you enjoyed commentating it so far this year? And how good's a championship when it's that tight at the top?
1: I love it. I love every single minute of it. And it, it, I just, it's, bizar- I find it bizarre that I'm doing it. When I watch the videos back on my Instagram or whatever and see the clips they use, especially that last lap in, um, in Imola where it all kicked off right at the end. Which last lap? <laughs> well, which last lap, indeed. Where Ollie Behrman and, and, um, uh, Isaac Hadjar and, and Gregoire Saucy. Uh, I just think how, H- Harry, how did you, had any words come out of your mouth that were somewhat logical um because it all just happened in a corner and suddenly stan x1 and that's it and we're all done and breathed and calm down um it I, I love every minute of it bahrain was was really um was really good actually because um it, it was tough because i was on my own for that one and, and calling 30 cars on your own is is quite difficult no matter how much you know and especially because that was my first proper really formula three commentary where i've been able to do some homework beforehand um so so that was that was tough but i thought the racing was great and and actually the storylines sort of reveal themselves because there's no way that even the tv director can't really keep up with 30 cars so you know you've just got to somehow be able to tell the story as much as you can with the help of the timing screen as well um which does certainly help when you've got a huge grid of cars um and then you know and that's uh, and that's sort of how it's been going so far we've only had well two rounds four races it feels like we've had way more than that actually because we've packed so much action in. there's been so many protagonists that have come to the forefront and uh, and those that have you know victor martin's especially last time out who who is the highest returning driver um you know was a, a little bit of no man's land really after looking so dominant in in bahrain so it's really flipping and, and it's hard to tell you know Who's coming through? The rookies. Over half the grid is, is, is brand new and they're all mightily impressive. You
0: can't call it. It has been terrific. I really enjoyed Formula 3 the most uh, last time out with Imola. It was terrific. Lawrence Leclerc is joined at the top of the table, although without a win and only one podium finish. It's a famous name. We obviously see there's a lot of interest from in Ferrari and Charles whenever Arthur does well. Do you think there's expectation for Ferrari in particular for him to emulate his brother and make his way up?
2: I think Charles is doing a really good job of trying to take the pressure off him. I think he does he does it very subtly, um, and he's exactly the kind of um, support that I think Arthur will need because there's so there's going to be so much pressure if Arthur makes it into Formula One. Uh, Considering the the trail that um Charles has blazed so far, um, but I think that you know that the dynamic that they have between them is really strong. Is he in Ferraris? Um, I said, well they've got so many, haven't they, at the moment? Ferrari are blessed, and they're they're probably the team who I think are going to struggle to get everyone through the door because at the moment they've got arguably one of the best, if not the best, lineups in Formula One, and it's one that's a long term one. And that's almost difficult for those below. You could say Mick Schumacher, um, and Kamil Marlas obviously n- hasn't made it through. There's this Robert Schwartzman, um, is there or thereabouts? But you know, the, it just it must feel like the door is shut at the moment and that must be particularly frustrating arthur i think has got a bit more time on his hands which i think is great and you don't know what the cooperation will be between ferrari and Haas and ferrari and alfa romeo going forward as well so i think if you're a ferrari junior you're probably feeling a bit more comfortable about how things are because you've got opportunities to get into formula one with those two other teams before you you know have the opportunity to potentially drive for ferrari um, but, you know, of course, Ferrari, Ferrari's junior programme is really strong. Like I, since Matias kind of taken over and he's put a lot of effort and into that side of things, Jock Clear's uh, playing a huge role um, in that area and he's a very impressive character, um, full stop. So if he's in charge, he's going to get the very best out of them. And I think that, you know, with, with the kind of scope that they're given and the funding that they're putting into it, Um, Arthur must feel like he's in a pretty good shape if he can deliver um, in Formula 3
1: I think also it's worth saying as well that with Ferrari having that amazing academy leading to Formula 1 yes there's going to be a point where there's just no room as you say but if the young drivers are smart they'll they'll know that actually they could have if Formula 1 doesn't become a reality i know no no f3 or f2 driver really wants to hear that but there will come a point where you have to make a decision and if you're being backed by ferrari they've got GT programs. They've got a new hypercar program coming in the World Endurance Championship. You could have a really strong, lucrative career with Ferrari backing you in sports cars, um but you've still got to perform at the level you're at now, whether you're in F3 or F2. So that's the that's the brilliance, I think, of what Ferrari have over maybe some of the other uh, academies at the moment, where they have that sports car. um they, They're investing lots more into it, especially with this new hypercar thing. I think Giovinazzi might be in with a shot of that as well. So you know they don't even if they cast aside a driver for the moment they, they don't tend to sort of keep them out completely, which yeah. I think is a, is a benefit.
3: The thing with that as well is you, you mentioned about you know the the options that they have. it takes someone like um, Marcus Armstrong who you know was sort of waiting for his chance and and never really performed in F2 as he was expected to and then he ended up losing that opportunity with, with the Ferrari driver academy and it's that thing of, you have got a really short window. And for a lot of drivers, some come in really early, some come in a bit later and don't really know when that window will expire. And, you know, we've seen some drivers, I mean, Nick, you know, will he get that chance? Will he not? He knows um, there's so many drivers and, you know, with the hope that Andretti are going to make their way into F1, hopefully in the next few years, that, that will alleviate some of the pain that some of those drivers might feel.
0: If I were asking me, I think McLaren's the one you want to be at the moment. The amount of teams that they're going to have in a couple of years, <laughs> it's insane. You'll find a seat somewhere at some point. It just boggles the mind of how wide they're spreading themselves. Um, moving back onto F3, though. Tyler, last time you were on, I think it was the last time you were on, uh, we had Franco Colapinto, and he won last time out in the sprint race after the other wild lap, which Harry alluded to. <laughs> Despite their position in F2, Van Amersfoort are showing their credentials joining F2 and F3 this year. Are you surprised by how well they've done so far?
3: Well, I remember being asked at the beginning of the season what I thought they would do in terms of predictions for both F2 and F3. And I thought that they would be a strong midfield team, but I didn't think that they'd be able to fly at the front. And I've spoken to Jake Hughes, as I mentioned earlier, and had the opportunity to speak to Franco uh, a few weeks ago. And they both gave the impression that even in F2, Um, they're raising a lot of eyebrows for other teams. And I think the thing is, is that compare them to a team like HWA, who came over from DTM, dominating in DTM and moving into Formula 3 and Formula 2 is a completely different story from dominating in, say, you know, the Formula 4s and moving a step up. It's a lot easier. Um, The main difference, other than obviously the chassis, is the tyres, because they don't use Pirelli's below Formula 3. And that's pretty much it. So it's a lot easier for, for teams uh, like Van Amersport to make their way in. And because of their uh, excellence in the lower categories, they've taken the brilliance of some of the drivers that they've got. Jake Hughes is highly experienced and they've used that. And then with the talent of someone like Colopinto, they've used that. And, you know, he had that pole. Now he's got the race win. They're a really strong team. Um, I don't think in Formula 2 they'll be able to, say, you know, fight for uh, drivers or Um, team's championship, but who knows F3, with how things are so open, um, I mean, I'd like to see what Harry says about that for F3 because I haven't been able to keep fully up um, with it, but I know for F2 they've certainly raised eyebrows, and I think Jake Hughes said, he said that if they don't win a race by the end of the season, he'll be disappointed which I think says how good they are
0: I'll let Harry respond to that
1: well, I mean, I think I would echo those sentiments. I I wasn't actually too surprised, especially in, in Formula 3 with how competitive VAR were. Because uh, the year before, well, last year, I was doing uh, Euro Formula Open, which is essentially sort of a Spanish Formula 3, if we're p- ripping it back to its basics. Um, and they have been mightily competitive in that. With current, you know, Rafael Gomez, who's one of their drivers in, in Formula 3, also raced with them in Euro Formula Open. So we've got to know him a little bit and the management team. And it's Fritz van Amersfoort who, who heads up the whole... Uh, company and as you say uh, Tyler, you know they're in uh, formula four and and beyond they've been knocking at the door for f3 for some time they wanted to be in it for a while now and they finally get that opportunity and i think it just goes to show because the the management structure that they have there i think is mightily impressive that they know they know how this works but it's really difficult to pinpoint, because then you flip it on its other side and you look at Carlin, for instance, uh, a massively well-respected British-run team, incredibly competitive in in multiple feeder series, but it hasn't quite clicked with them in Formula Three for some reason. Mm-hmm. Even though Trevor Carlin is there, sat on the pit wall, trying to figure out what to do. And I spoke with him a few weeks ago and he's he's very keen. He doesn't blame his drivers. It's not the driver's fault at all. He said it's something within our team. He's been changing our engineers, changing the management style, trying to figure out what it is and how to get the most out of these F3 cars and teams, because the way the championship is run and the way the format is currently, it, it, it means that you've got to be able to carry momentum, not just on track, but in sort of your backroom staff as well. Um, and if if things aren't clicking, it very easily unravels and at the moment with VAR, I think they've got a, a fairly strong driver lineup in F3. Franco Colapinto is one of my stars so far. I think he just needs to get a bit more experience under his belt and then he could be a serious contender, I think. But um that that's that's how it sees that's how I see it at the moment anyway. But VAR I think certainly will be up there in Formula Three for for a long while to come.
0: There's so many questions I had prepped, but everyone's given such good answers. I'm going to skip ahead a few here. I just want to know this one for you, Harry, because I would kick myself if I didn't ask it. I texted before the season to wish you luck, and I also made sure, because I'm just that kind of friend, that you had some crafty level of facts and you spurted some stuff out about Ayrton Simmons, I think it was. How much trivia sits in your head, and what are some of the best lesser-known facts about the F3 drivers on F3 teams
1: Well, I do have an emergency thirty-page Google document for those situations uh, that I can quickly get up if there's a rain delay. Quickly, what do I need? What do I need? Um, Well, the Ayrton Simmons fact was good, partly because I didn't realize he lives—he lives about twenty minutes away from me, so. actually met up with him before uh the start of the season just to sort of you know get to know him a bit and, and have a coffee or whatever and, and he was telling me how you know he speaks fluent Spanish he races under a British license but he speaks fluent Spanish because his, his mum was Spanish and his dad was English and he lived in Spain for I think the first seven years of his life and Ayrton is the only name that sounds the same in Spanish and English and his dad was a racing fan so they wanted to call him Ayrton and so I thought <laughs> well, that's a bit of pressure isn't it but he doesn't feel that um so And also, I think he said, you know, he has, he, he, you know, unfortunately, he wasn't there in Imola. I think, think due to budget issues, and that's a certain thing he struggles with because during the day, you know, Monday to Friday, he's working as a as an electrical engineer, you know, just locally, which which was fascinating. You know, the the backstories to these drivers, especially when they're still carving their way through, is really interesting. My other fact that I do have off the top of my head because I do ask all the drivers and their PR people to send me random weird facts that I can whack out just in case I ever need it. Um, one was for Zach O'Sullivan, um, the, the reigning GB3 champion, stepping up uh, into Formula 3, of course, backed by Williams as well this year.
0: Of course, been on the podcast, you know that guy.
1: Yes, absolutely, of course. <laughs> um, he's had the same engineer all throughout his feeder series so the engineer he has at the moment is the same engineer that he had in GB3 and it's the same engineer that he had in British F4 before that which I thought was quite an interesting fact Um, so how much time has that killed a few minutes so then you then you talk to Alex Brundle and he starts filling for a few minutes while I find something else to talk about and that's how a rain delay works
0: well I'll give you this one for free (laughs) because I spoke to Gabrielle Many who no doubt will be joining F3 at some point next year if not the year after that when I interviewed him recently he can tell me he does a Rubik's cube in under about 20 seconds so write That one down oh, for the future, Harry. 20 wow.
2: seconds that's too quick.
0: That's, a that's too good. That's that one last. That one last. That... He's a quick driver. What can I tell you? He's quick with that the ruby cubes I might be exaggerating the 20 seconds, but it's pretty damn quick. i need to check the transcription and maybe put a correction out before his management tell me off. There's one last thing I have to talk about before we move on to Ask F1FS for quite a brief one because we've been talking so much, and that's some races I'm sure that none of the panel have watched. Uh, Formula 4, and specifically ADAC. In the interest of time, I won't spend too long here, but I did feel the need to pause for a second and appreciate a historic event in ADAC history. Mercedes Junior driver, which thank you, Tyler, for bringing that up earlier, Andrea Kimi Antonelli, completely dominated the weekend in Hockenheim taking both pole positions and all three fastest laps not to mention doing something that only F2's Dennis Hauger has done in the championship he won every race over the weekend all three races both pole positions all three fastest laps and I think he started on the third row the third row of the grid for the final race as well and then one by four seconds still unbelievable dominance so that means so far he's had five wins in six races and his rookie teammate rafael camara is the other person who won and the two of them are now over 50 points ahead of p3 in the championship even though we're only two rounds in it's absolutely amazing and if you do want to know a bit more about that, there's a little plug here for last week's pundit, Alex Studikov. Uh, so go on to f one pdcscom to read more about that and just look at that little link for the ADAC F4 Championship. Really, really good stuff. And I can't wait to see... To answer the question from what, 20 minutes ago, just how good Andrea Comi is going to be for Mercedes when he inevitably replaces Lewis Hamilton in 2025. His dad
1: is a very good racing driver as well. He's a very, he still races, he's an AM category driver in GT Open, um, and he's very fast. So it clearly runs in the blood in that family.
0: There's a lot of stuff with this racing that everyone just seems to run in, run in the blood. The other person you mentioned as well with the pole position, Tyler, was uh, Mr. Doohan, who of course has racing in his blood as well. So it's just one of those funny things. As much as we could ask questions all day, F1 Feeder Series isn't for us. It's for you. And we want to make sure you all feel involved. So we're moving on to the part of the podcast where our viewers and listeners have their say with hashtag AskF1FS. If this is your first time watching or listening, you can get involved by using the hashtag askf1fs on Twitter, joining our Discord and using the podcast questions channel, or simply commenting on our YouTube videos and asking whatever it is that's on your mind. This one is... um... Kind of tied to what you were saying earlier about age, Tyler, actually. This comes from AS19, Alex, who was a pundit last week, and wants to know to both of you, Harry and Lawrence, do you find it a shame that you have to be 19 or 20 to make your debut in F1 nowadays, meaning drivers such as Gregoire Saucy might never get a look-in? I'll go to you, Harry, first. That's a
1: tough one, because it's not just in... in Formula One, the way that's going, you know, people, it's younger and younger globally in in jobs, really, it's just a a trend that seems to go. I actually watched an interview the other day, I think it was actually Crofty interviewing Benedict Cumberbatch, who was hosting the Laureus Sports Awards back in 2013 or whatever, and they were talking about Sebastian Vettel. Uh, winning four times a world champion at just the age of 26. And I remember coming back, said, you know, it, I can't believe that he's not just only a Formula One driver at age 26, but he's a four-time world champion. And then you listen to that conversation now and you go, well, that's old. He's over the hill. You know, it is a shame. but uh, I hope I, I, I like to think that if you've got the, the raw talents and the backing Then that shouldn't, how old you are, shouldn't affect um, your rise up through the ranks. If you showcase you are fast enough, if you've got the financial backing, if you've got the know how and the political awareness, you should still stand just as much of a chance as um, the 18 year old that's in the the car next to you.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with you, um, Harriet. Yeah, I feel for them because it is harder now. But S van Ocon, Alex Albon have proved that you can leave Formula One and then come back again. And so it, it proves that if you've got the talent, like Harry said, um, and you have got that support that support network, finance is important. But if you've got that support network, if you've got a, a Mercedes back in you, an Alpine back in, you've got someone who believes in you, uh, you can you can find your way through. The interesting thing is these days... You've got such long careers in Formula One, uh, much longer than we've ever seen before. And that just means that with 20 seats on the grid, it's even harder, regardless of what your age is, to make it into Formula One. And Formula One teams like consistency. They don't like changing things up because obviously then you add a little more, an extra variable into a championship, which could be really tight. So it's even harder now to break through regardless of how old you are. But um, yeah, I would agree with that. So long as you're good enough and you've got the talent um, and things just fall your way, there's definitely luck involved. You know, the, George, you know George got a seat at Mercedes because things just worked out at the right time. You know, Mercedes realised that was the time that Bottas moved on and George comes up. You've just got to be at the right place at the right time. Um, you know, we've seen Fernando Alonso come back into Formula One and, you know, he's the oldest, one of the oldest who was the oldest on the grid. So, like, I think there is opportunities if you are good enough
0: a okay, Fernando Alonso joins in the young driver's test, of course, so he might jump in <laughs> one of those FP1 sessions that we mentioned. <laughs> uh, Harry, this one's directly to you. This is from Aviral Srivastava, who wants to know, how do you rate Kushmani's performance so far this year? He's judged it as fast but unlucky if that's even a thing. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. He's one of the drivers who I have been really quietly impressed by, um, especially, you know, he had a year out last year, so not having too much uh, current racing under his belt, really fought to get that seat at MP as well. Um, and he, I think he got he got penalised in Bahrain because uh, he came into the pit lane during practice of qualifying, got called for the Weybridge, but missed it. So, you know, a stupid mistake, but one that he paid the price for because he then had to start from the back of, uh, of the grid for both of the races, despite qualifying in the top six uh, on outright pace. And during that first in both races in Bahrain, um coming from the pit lane he made up about i think it was 12 or 13 positions and that is impressive in formula 3 and then he finally gets a, a decent shout in imola although the weather played a bit of havoc um uh, he got a bit caught up i think there was a there was in i can't remember what happened in the sprint race but it was it was all a bit of a, a bit of mayhem at one point of course in formula 3 but he did manage to get fifth place in the feature race which reflects your sort of your more your qualifying pace and speed i think so a few more races under his belt kush um right up there with, with the other rookies, doesn't look out of his depth. Uh, and that's the main thing, I think.
0: I That's a point of Formula 3 isn't to make those sort of errors. So should he make it to F1, you don't miss a way, route. That's kind of what happens. Uh, just whiz to this one. This isn't specified anybody. I'm going to point at you for this, Lawrence. This one comes from Stein, who has the amazing... It's uh, not the first time he's asked a question, but it has the amazing Twitter handle, Dennis underscore Hauger. I don't know how he's got away with that, but well done. Is W Series unneeded if the biggest stars, presumably talking about Jamie Chadwick can't make it through to other series. I know it's a difficult one to throw at you, Lawrence, but it is a question that's been raised and we've asked it last week and the week before.
2: No, I think you need W Series. I think it's a great initiative. I think it gives an opportunity um, to for young women, for girls, to see that there is a chance to break it into, Formula, uh, into motorsport. I think that up until a few years ago, you know, maybe just before CeCe wolf was on the scene, it probably looked very difficult or not even like a career that many girls would have wanted to pursue. And I just think the very fact that you've got something like the W Series and you've got a, a proper competitive championship on telly that people can watch, you know, young girls can watch and grow up and aspire to be, I think is hugely important. And OK, it's not ideal that Jamie hasn't managed yet to, to make that step up into um into the into the main ladder but that doesn't mean that it won't happen in the near future she's still clearly a very strong racing driver Williams have got a relationship with us they clearly rate her to an extent as well so I think you know let's not forget the W series is still a very young series it's only just starting you know just getting started really it's on the Formula One bill now which I think is huge it shows the support for the championship um these things are gonna take time I know it's it's almost annoying to say it but it might take a decade or more but that's just that's just the way it will work because if you want to bring young people through from grassroots it takes time they have to grow up they have to get life experience they have to get the experience behind the wheel so it's going to take a little bit of time um but i I absolutely think w series is needed um, and i hope that it continues to grow
0: Another question that's kind of tied to the, I would call it, equality element of it, that CMPAR Phase 16, regular question asker, wants to know, hello, Lawrence, what are your thoughts about the lack of success slash opportunity of non-Japanese, Asian-based and African drivers when it comes to the F1? I know we're just talking on this at the back of the Kashmini conversation, but it's a fair point as well that it's an international sport, motorsport, getting to F1, but it's not international with some regards
2: i think this kind of goes back to the fact that formula one or most competing in motorsport is expensive and so it's just not feasible for you know if a young kid wants to to enter sport they can if they want to do football they can just go and buy a football and kick it around but you can't then just go and buy a (laughs) go-kart and all the fresh buyers you need and then go down to your local car track and that's if you've got a local car track um you know near enough so it's much harder already to, to believe that you can even just get your foot in the door and experience if it's a sport that you like so you mentioned you know japan of course they've got super formula they've got a great kind of racing commitment and and ladder over there already i think that what formula one as a whole is trying to do is it's on the subject of diversity and inclusion is they're just trying to make formula one as a sport more open and that's across driving marketing you know sponsorship if you want any way of working in formula 1 any job in formula 1 the idea is that we should over the next 10 15 20 years make it more feasible for people to get the skill sets that they need to then get into formula 1 and i think over the time as we kind of try and progress this kind of area we'll find a way to support young drivers in uh, across the world like you said it's a global world championship so you know it's not just about trying to get a race in africa so we can call ourselves a, a, a world championship is is trying to get the opportunity for everyone around the world if they want to enter motor racing and 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 they are good enough and they're talented enough that they have that chance but it's going to take time um it's going to take years but i do think it is frustrating and i take that point that if you're not in one of those core areas so europe for example of like you said you know in japan it's difficult. I remember Vijay Mallya, He, I'm pretty sure when he was running Force India, he did he does a scheme called One in a Million or One in a Billion, where he was trying to get young drivers through, and he, he set up kind of like a karting championship locally. It's just a really hard thing to get off the ground in an area which where maybe people aren't, that whether it's competitive, you know, cricket is huge in India. It's hard when Formula One or motorsport isn't the number one sport anyway, and then you want to get this new championship off the ground. So it's a difficult one. But I'd like to think over time, we'll find a way where more it's just more opportunity, um, I think. And hopefully more sponsors will be able to put money behind projects to back more drivers.
0: It's like turning a massive tanker the size of a F1 2022 car, isn't it? Trying to make this change at the moment. So completely understand. Harry, this one's for you. If you could do quickly, that would be great. Because there's a question I really want to ask. This one is from Josh via Discord, who wants to know, how can you tell who is who in the chaos of lap one? Uh well you
1: get it wrong sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and uh I mean you become more familiar with it as obviously you get more experience like imola I was wait like lap 1 Bahrain it was you know I I tend to just focus on the who's at the front I make sure I know exactly who the front four cars are um their numbers distinguish them their livery distinguish them although in formula 3 there's about eight cars that are all black and white which is super helpful um so that's how I usually distinguish it it's usually number livery and especially in lap one it's i can't focus on the whole grid so i just go well i'm going to absolutely nail who's at the front and make sure that's the main battle we get uh, running and then and then it's a lot of looking at on track looking at timing screen how does it add up and then just sort of fly the seat of your pants kind of thing and hope it works out
0: yeah i do notice and i think it's to your advantage it's like and that's the number 21 car going off rather than getting it completely wrong and saying number 21 is whoever that is so i think you do a terrific job so far harry so long may that continue um, this one, or these two, and it comes down to which one to actually focus on. This one's from Fosser via Discord, He wants to know, question for Lawrence, how much freedom do you have as a journalist working for F1? Is there anything you, is there ever anything that they ask you to avoid, specifically cover, et cetera, or does it mostly allow you to do as you please? But also, he points out, don't ask about Will Buxton. So it's kind of at the point, do we have a Will Buxton love in, or do you want to answer the, the first question?
2: Um... As it, what does he mean by don't ask about will buxton
0: well he's more him wanting not to ask because i think he's such a will buxton fan and obviously you and him oh, have been i see so closely <laughs> recently
2: okay um well the um the first one is i've never been told that i can't write something so i've, n- I've never filed anything or there's never been a subject where um i've you know, suggested it and they've said, no, you can't do that. But then I do think it, it's probably just a bit of common sense about, you know, what you think you can do and what you can't do. My focus at Formula One is about the people. It's about the drivers. It's about the personalities. It's about telling their stories and trying to, to give fans a, a, a closer look as to who the people are behind the helmets. So I suppose that's never going to be too tricky. Um, there are obviously areas whereby, you know, I don't speculate about which races are going to be on the calendar. Um, but I don't feel like I'm losing out on in on that sense. There's plenty of other publications out there who who cover that story, those stories very well. Um, I'm I suppose I'm I'm more focused on the writing side of things um, from a, a feature point of view. On the broadcasting side of things, we're free to have our opinions. Um, so I've never really felt like I need to worry about what I'm going to say, um, other than. Whatever I say, I'm completely comfortable that the person who I'm saying it about will hear it and be okay with it. Because in the sense that you know, it's a, a fair thing to say. Um, you know, I, I don't think that you should say anything unless you, you truly believe it. And so, as long as you back what you say, um, I think that's perfectly fine. And on Will, well, I love working with Will. I've known him for a long time. Um, my first race. My first Formula 1 on race was with the British Army Reporter Competition when he was working as the head of comms for GP2. And so I met him then, and that was 2006. And that is quite cool that I'm working with him, um, How many years that is later, 14 years later. No more than that, 16 years later, my baths are much. But But uh, it was, uh, yeah, it's great to work with him. He's such a great ball of energy. He was very supportive when I kind of moved on to the broadcast and side of things. Um, uh, and it, he made it very easy when we were kind of a duo to start with during those COVID times. So um, I love working with him and uh, yeah, I'd happily talk about Will all day long. A Will Buxton podcast would be great.
0: Uh, Harry, just a quick one on your side. If you cross paths with Will, yeah, I know that you're in um, Biggin Hill quite often. He was there doing F1 TV not long ago. He was
1: first weekend I met him was in Muller. So a couple of weeks, ahead, weekends ago. Um, and we sat and chatted for ages and he gave me so much advice. He's the loveliest man ever um he does love a dramatic pause even <laughs> in real life um so that that's not just a netflix thing it's a real life thing as well but uh, and i and i've watched will obviously and, and listened to him for years as well so it was it's you know you always get a bit tensive about oh god are they going to be okay when you meet them in person for the first time but he was nothing but welcoming happy to chat nice uh, it just makes you feel at home straight away so uh, big up the buxton
0: Pick up the Buxton. I know Floris is a massive fan. So, between the two of you, I'm going to somehow worm him onto the podcast somehow for the future as a present to him. But yeah, I think uh, Tyler's going to echo those thoughts. But we're going to run out of time, else, we would have just the Will Buxton, ask Will Buxton questions part of the podcast because he is an F1 Feeder Series legend, isn't he? But for now, I have to say thank you. Uh, That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. If you'd like to have your question asked on a future episode, use the hashtag AskF1FS on Twitter. Drop any questions below if you're watching on YouTube or let us know what questions you have on your mind on our Discord. Look for the podcast questions channel. If you are watching on YouTube, dropping a like on the video, leaving a comment and subscribing all really helps us out. And if you're listening, leaving a review on the podcast platform you're listening on is greatly appreciated. Finally, check out F1FeederSeries.com for more feeder series insight, including that ADAC F4 stuff I mentioned earlier, and follow f one feeder series one F1FS Americas, and F1FS Live on Twitter. You can find the links to all of those, plus the Twitter accounts for myself and everyone else on the podcast in the YouTube description or the podcast show notes. Until next time, we have been the F1 Feeder Series podcast. Goodbye.